Daniel chapter 11, beginning with verse 36, and we will work our way through the rest of the book. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 749. I've entitled today's message, The End of Days, and as always, we'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we will look at the text. All right, let's bow together. Our Lord, we give you our thanks for this beautiful Sunday morning. I give you my thanks for each one who is here today. Thank you for them. Lord, their presence in this auditorium is not by accident. They are here because you ordained it. And I pray, Lord, that our time spent in your word would be profitable for all that you would help us to understand and to receive the words of today's text, that you would help us to make appropriate application of it to our own lives. Lord, I pray that you would use today's text to give us a longing for your son's return, for his coronation, for the inauguration of the kingdom of God on the earth, and for the everlasting bliss that awaits your people when that day comes. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So everyone needs a pastime, right? And my favorite pastime in recent days has been looking at all the new images coming out from the Webb Space Telescope. And my favorite of these images are the so-called deep field images. These are the ones that take us all the way to the edge of the observable universe. And recently, the Webb Telescope discovered a galaxy that may be the furthest galaxy ever observed by mankind. It's called the Glass Z13 Galaxy. And according to astronomers, this one may be 13.45 billion light years from Earth. Okay, 13.45 billion. Okay, that is farther distant than our minds can possibly comprehend. And yet, because of the Webb Telescope, we're able to look at this image as if it was just a few feet away. It's incredible. This is the value of telescopes. They close the gap between the observer and that distant object. It's as if the space between the two ceases to exist. And the image is brought right in front of our faces. Well, friends, in the Bible, there is a phenomenon in prophetic literature that we know as prophetic telescoping, and it works on a similar principle. So in this prophetic literature, sometimes God will give us a prophecy concerning the near future, and then he'll give us a prophecy about the distant future, and the two will be brought near to each other. Now, there may be thousands of years spanning the two prophecies, but they've been brought near by God for his own purposes. They've been telescoped, as it were. And I bring this up now because the phenomenon is at work in our text, Daniel chapters 11 and 12. So last week, we looked at chapter 11, verses 1 to 35, we saw that the prophecies of that passage concerned events immediately preceding the first coming of Christ. But now we come to verse 36, and we're working to the end of the chapter, and we find that here we've got prophecies in the immediate lead-up to the second coming of Christ. 
And so between chapter 11, verse 35, and verse 36, we actually have a gap of time that spans thousands of years. In fact, the events of 1136 and following are even in our future. They were in the great distant future for Daniel. And yet the prophecies have been telescoped. They come one right after the other. How do we know that we have telescoping taking place here? Well, we know for several reasons. Number one, because the prophecies in today's text have no historical fulfillment. All the prophecies of verses 35 and previous did. So we know this has to concern our future. Then reason number two, there are phrases like this, which appear throughout today's text. Quote, the time of the end, or the end of days. And almost always, these kinds of phrases refer to the very end of history, just before or during the second coming of Christ. And then reason number three, today's passage also describes a general resurrection from the dead and a final judgment. And we all know that those concern the very end of human history. And so, yes, we have a case of prophetic telescoping here. From verses 35 to 36, the prophecies move from our past to our future. Tremendous time gap represented in these verses. Now, if you are here for our study of Daniel chapter 9, and if you recall that prophecy of the 70 weeks... There we had 69 weeks of prophecy that terminated at Christ's first coming. Then the text said there would be a big time gap, room for the New Testament church and the Great Commission, and then would begin the 70th week, that final seven-year lead-up to Christ's coronation, kingdom of God. Well, today's entire text concerns the 70th week of prophecy. It's those final seven years leading up to Christ's coronation. Okay, by this time, the church has been removed from the earth. All that's left is a world of unbelief. And this text offers us many, many details about that future time in world history. Okay, so that that sets the context for our passage today. Now let's dig into it. Let's see what it has to say to us about this time in the future. First of all, It tells us that this will be a time of great misery. Time of great misery. According to this text, much of that misery will be traceable to the activities of a single king. You see there, verse 36, he's called the king. He has many other names in Scripture, though. In Daniel chapter 7, he was called the little horn. In Revelation 13, he is called the beast. And in 1 John chapter 2, he is called the Antichrist. But it's all referring to the same figure. And I'll refer to him as the Antichrist just for sake of consistency. Now, friends, the world has endured some pretty awful tyrants in its history. It has endured men like Antiochus Epiphanes and Caligula, Genghis Khan, Adolf Hitler, and many others. But this man, this Antichrist, he will surpass them all. He will be worse than all of his predecessors. Verses 36 to 39 explain that he will be a moral regenerate, degenerate. Let's look at what the text says about him. First of all, it says, And the king 
shall do as he wills. That means this coming figure will have no moral compass. His only value will be self-interest. So if something is in his self-interest, he'll do it. If it's not in his self-interest, he won't do it. That'll be his only governing principle. What is best for me and my goals? And we continue to read and it says, And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. So this figure will worship none but himself, placing himself above all other objects of worship. We also see that he will speak blasphemous things. It says, He shall speak astonishing things against God, against the God of God. So, He shall worship himself, he shall do all that he pleases, and he shall blaspheme the living God. We also see here in verse 36 that he will pursue and achieve great worldly success. It says, he shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. Now, I want you to hang on to that little phrase there, the indignation. We're going to talk about that phrase later on in the message. For now, let's just note that he prospers in his work. This will require a lot of corruption, a lot of lying and cheating and stealing and killing, a whole lot of political intrigue for him to achieve his great goals. Again, speaking to the moral degeneracy of the man. And then look at verse 37. It says, "...and he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers." or to the one beloved by women. That's a reference to Christ. So he worships only himself, he denigrates the God of heaven, and he is resolutely opposed to Christ and all that he represents. That's why he earned that title, Antichrist. And then verse 39 says, excuse me, let me go to verse uh, 38. It says, And he shall honor the God of fortresses, Instead of these, these other gods, a God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. So in other words, his only value will be the display of brute force. All of his energy, his resources, it'll go into building fortresses, increasing military might. Here's a man who has self-interest as his only value, who has himself as his only object of worship, who delights in nothing but the display of raw power. And then verse 39, it says, And those who acknowledge him... He shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many, shall divide the land for a price. So he's going to reward all of his cronies. And the implication would be he will oppose all who oppose him. And so, friends, this is the Antichrist. This is where humanity's rebellion against God will finally lead. Not to liberation, but rather to absolute tyranny. Man's rebellion against God will lead them to rule by a man who worships none but himself, whose every decision is governed by self-interest, who values power and success over everything else, and a man who is a warmonger, a man who rewards his cronies and crushes all others. This leads us to the next point found in verses 40 to 45. Here's a man driven by his bloodlust. 
Verse 40 says, at the time of the end, okay, and, and that phrase means the latter half of Daniel's 70th week, at the end of that final period, the king of the south shall attack him. Okay, so now we're, we're watching history begin its final revolutions until the return of Christ. The tyranny of this Antichrist figure will finally become too much for his immediate neighbors. And it says a neighbor to the south will invade. He's going to try to suppress this man and his power. But this Antichrist shall prevail. It says the king of the south shall attack, but the king of the north, that's him, he shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen, with many ships. So he'll be invaded, but he will prevail against the invader. He will crush the invading force. And then this will compel the Antichrist to go on the offense. Now, undoubtedly, he will begin an offensive campaign in the name of national defense, because that's how tyrants always work. I'm defending my country by invading every other country. Look what happens. It says, verse uh, 40, toward the end, He shall come into countries and shall overthrow and shall pass through. So he's invaded, he suppresses the invasion, now he goes into other countries. And he is attacking and destroying them one at a time, bringing them under his own sway. Verse 41, and he shall come into the glorious land. That means his military campaign shall take him all the way down into Israel itself. And then it adds, and tens of thousands shall fall. You see, this will be a vicious campaign. Many nations will fall. Many people will fall. But then it adds this interesting note, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. Now, this, these are little territories just to the southeast of Israel. They're contained in modern-day Jordan. So this Antichrist figure, he'll invade his southern neighbor, he'll win. Then he'll start fanning out, moving farther south and west. But for whatever reason, his army shall bypass the territories of modern-day Jordan. He's going to take a, a different turn with his forces. And then it goes on. It says... Uh, verse 42, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Egypt is located in the, the northeast tip of the African continent. So now he has swept through southern countries. He's swept through the Middle East. Israel is under his sway. Now he's heading into Africa. It says... Verse 43, he shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, of all the precious things of Egypt. So he will win in his war against Egypt, and he shall capture all of her material wealth for his kingdom. And then it goes on, it says, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. Okay, now we're moving into the interior of Africa. So you can see the progress of this military campaign from the nation where he arose to political power, down south into his neighbor, through the Middle East, into Israel, then a, a westward turn into Africa, conquering Egypt, conquering Libya, conquering Cush. He's moving south into the African continent. But now, verse 44, his plans change. 
It says, News from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. So while he is on this southern campaign, suddenly he hears news that there is a coalition of forces to his north, to his east, and they are beginning to bear down on him. This forces him to turn back from Africa to start heading all of his forces up north and east to meet this new coalition in battle. And here's what it says. Verse 45, He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, another reference to Israel. So his forces are moving up from Africa and the Middle East, The coalition forces oppose him. They're coming in from north and east, and they converge back in the Holy Land. That's where they're going to have their final showdown. In fact, according to Revelation 16.16, this battle shall take place in Israel, and it shall happen in the valley of Megiddo, which is why this is called the Battle of Armageddon a massive military conflict involving forces from all over the world, north, south, east, and west. And it is there in the valley of Megiddo that this Antichrist shall meet his end. You see that at the end of verse 45. It says, Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. So there in that final showdown in the valley of Megiddo, Antichrist will be slain. But friends, he will not be killed by those advancing armies. Rather, he will be killed by the voice of the Son of God himself as he is coming down to earth to take his throne. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Again, that's Antichrist. The man of lawlessness will be revealed the son of destruction, who will oppose and exalt himself against every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And then it adds, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So this great battle converges in Megiddo. World War III, great showdown. But then the skies open, down descends the Son of God. And with a word spoken from his mouth, Antichrist is wiped away. And all of the armies that were opposing each other, wiped away with a word. And then he shall have his coronation service, take his throne and inaugurate his earthly kingdom. Revelation 19 speaks to this event as well. It says that when Christ descends for his coronation, it says he will come with a whole host of people clothed in white linens. This undoubtedly is his bride, his church, coming down with Christ to reign with him in his kingdom. But friends, listen, that seven-year period, that 70th week, of prophecy, that time just before Christ's coronation, the time from Antichrist's rise to his fall, this will be the worst time that Israel has ever known. 
It'll be worse than the Babylonian invasion. Worse than Antiochus Epiphanes. It will be worse than World War II. And it'll be bad for the whole world as well. Back to verse 36 of the chapter. Remember that this entire period was called the indignation. It says Antichrist would rule until the indignation reaches its decreed end. We could also translate that as the wrath, the wrath. That's what this future time is. It's a time of wrath, a time for divine wrath to be poured out on a world that has rejected him. Listen, my friends, the God of heaven is a God of love and mercy and forgiveness and grace and all of that. He is all of that. But he's also a God of holiness and of justice. And he is a God determined to set his son on his throne to reign as king. And he will not allow humanity's rebellion to last forever. He will not allow this world to remain in its broken state forever. And so God has appointed a time, here it's called the indignation or the wrath, a time when he will bring his perfect judgments on a world that has rejected him. The world shall feel the full weight of his judgments. Some of those judgments will be direct. The book of Revelation speaks of judgments coming from heaven to the earth, God directly meeting out justice. But then some of it will also be indirect, as in through the Antichrist. In this case, God is just giving humanity what it said it wanted. Humanity wanted nothing to do with God. They thrust this Antichrist figure into political leadership, gave him all the authority of a god. Then they suffer the terrible fate of living under such a man's rule. So some of the wrath is direct, some of it is indirect, giving humanity what it said it wanted. But all of it will be wrath, which is why I believe the church is taken out of the world before it falls and accompanies Christ when he returns for his coronation. Well, Daniel 12, verse 1, provides some additional information about this time period. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is in charge of your people. Recall that Michael is an archangel of heaven. This suggests that that this final period shall involve cosmic warfare. As human armies are waging war on the earth, there will be angels and demons waging war above. It will be a battle of cosmic proportion. And then this additional detail is added. It says, There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. It will be the worst period of history for Israel by extension the world. The worst they've ever known. Matthew 24, Jesus says this, quote, If those days had not been cut short, no human being would survive. That bad. Friends, thank God that he intends to rescue the bride of Christ before this falls. But also note that even in the midst of this wrath, even there, there shall be mercy. That takes us to the second part of verse 1. It says, There shall 
there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But, now here's the wonderful, the wonderful contrast, but at that time your people, he's talking to Daniel, so he's talking about Israelites here. At that time your people, your fellow Israelites shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. The 70th week shall be the worst time the world has ever known, certainly the worst that Israel has ever seen. But but it will be a time of salvation too. Here's what's going on. Here's what other scriptures inform us about, about this time. That as the Israelites of that day are feeling the full weight of God's judgments successively coming down, is they are living under the misery and the persecutions of Antichrist, as they see armies around the world converging on their homeland. God will use this to spark new spiritual life in them, such that they now cry out to God in repentance and faith, just like when they were slaves in Egypt, when the whole story began. And they were crushed under the weight of the Pharaoh and they begged God for deliverance. And he did. He delivered them just like that at this final time in history. Under the cruel tyranny of an antichrist, they shall cry out to God once again. God will use it to draw them to salvation. The promise of of Romans 11, verses 25 and 26, shall be fulfilled. Paul writes there, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until all the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. But then all Israel shall be saved. The great trials of that 70th week will result in a spiritual awakening the likes of which the world has rarely seen. The Israelites will look upon the one that they pierced. They will mourn with godly grief. They will see that he is their Messiah. They will embrace him. And they will be saved. And then we see what else will happen, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now note there it says, and many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake. See, the scriptures teach that at the end of time there is a succession of resurrections. At this point, all those who died in faith during this great tribulation, they shall arise And unbelievers from the beginning of the world until then shall also arise. They shall arise and go to one of two places. Some will rise with new bodies into everlasting life. Others will arise and be condemned to everlasting contempt, you see. The dead in Christ shall be raised. They shall enter the kingdom of God in their new bodies. The dead who are not in Christ shall be raised they shall go to the lake of fire, which is just as real as heaven, to be taken just as seriously. Hell ought to be dreaded as much as heaven is longed for, because it is just as real. 
And friend, this is how history will come to a close. This is how the kingdom of God will be inaugurated on the earth during that final seven-year build-up to the coronation of Christ. There shall be this dreaded figure on the world scene, this Antichrist. A man whose tyranny surpasses that of all of his predecessors. A man who will spark the contempt of his neighbors, leading to an invasion of his country. He will put it down, then begin his offensive. It will go south, it will go west, it will conquer much land. But then his other, his other opponents shall resist him. They shall come from the north and the east. They shall meet in the Holy Land at the Valley of Megiddo. And just when it looks like all the world is about to be destroyed, the Son of God will descend in power and glory with His bride, the church. He shall speak a word to the warring nations, and they shall disappear. And He will bring salvation to the Jews, fulfilling all of His promises to Abraham and to David and to Moses and to all of the nation. They shall be the center of the coming kingdom of God. His son shall take his throne and rule and reign with his people forever and ever. Friends, this is the future that awaits. Now, what was Daniel to do in light of all of this information? What are we to do with all of this information? Well, as we look at verses 5 through 12, verses which we will quickly walk through, we find that there are three instructions for us. Three action steps to take in light of the prophecies. First, our job is to preserve these prophecies. Look at verse 4. It says, But you, Daniel, shut up and seal the words, or excuse me, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So, Daniel, you've just received a whole fire hose worth of prophecies concerning the end of time. Here's what you're supposed to do with those. You preserve them. That's what it means. Shut up the words and seal them till the time of the end. You don't add to the words. Don't take away from the words. Don't alter the words. You just take what I've given you, protect them, you safeguard them. From now until they are fulfilled. People in that day are going to want to know these words. They must be available when that time comes. Friends, I believe this same instruction applies to us. We have a responsibility to preserve the words of this book. I think we find a mandate here to translate the Bible into every language, to distribute it to every people so that all can have these words. I think we have a mandate here to preach and to teach the words of this book as well as all of the words of the Bible, to maintain the memory of these prophecies until the time should come. I believe we have a mandate here to instill the truths of this, this whole Bible and of, of the words of Daniel to our children, to build local churches that will uphold the words of Scripture and that will call people to respond to it. And this is my call to all of you as well, that if, that if you should, should look within and determine you have not embraced the claims of Christ, you've not come to Him yet in, in repentance and, and faith, you ought to do so now. 
There is coming an end to this age of world history. Our Lord will descend. And this time he will not come in a a little manger as a helpless little baby. This time he will come as a king ready to take his throne. And he shall speak and destroy his enemies. Some will follow him into his kingdom, but some will go into the everlasting lake of fire. It will happen. What you do with the Son of God will determine where you are in that day. Do not delay what you must do. You must bow before the Son of God. Accept Him for who He is. Believe His promises and His threatenings. He lived, died, and rose again that you might believe in Him and have atonement for all sin that you might have a right standing with Him, that you might have a place in His kingdom. Embrace the Son today. Well, then we see another responsibility. Verses 5 to 13, we must not just preserve the prophecies, but we must also fulfill our callings. Look at verse 5. It says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, one on the other bank of the stream. Okay? So prophecies are over. Now Daniel, he's, we're seeing him back on the banks of the Tigris River. He's seeing the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus again, hovering above the stream. Angels are now flanking him left and right. Verse 6, Someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? That's a good question. You've given us so many prophecies here, Lord. How long will it take for them from start to finish, all of these horrors, how long will it take for them to unfold? He answers the question. Verse 7, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things should be finished there's our answer from antichrist engagement in war to the time that christ puts an end to the war three and a half years a time times and half a time one year plus two years plus a half a year three and a half years of misery and then it's all over And then it goes on, verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Verse 9, and he said to me, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Then skipping down to verse 13, he repeats himself, But go your way till the end. What that means is, Daniel, I know you've received a lot of information here. It's overwhelming, and you would love to figure out all the tiny little details, all the names, all the places, all the, the, the little time timelines uh, throughout this period. You want to know it all. It's coming right into the forefront of your mind. He says, but, but don't be preoccupied with it. Instead, go your way. That means just fulfill the callings that I've given you for today. Know the prophecies, but don't become preoccupied with them to the exclusion of your other callings. What were Daniel's callings? Well, for Daniel, he was called to be a man of God in a pagan culture, Persian Empire. He was called to be a bureaucrat in King Cyrus's government. He had to fulfill those callings, focus on the task at hand at the time not become overwhelmed by all that would be in the distant future. 
Well, this instruction also applies to us. You know, it's very easy for us to get wrapped up in Bible prophecy. In fact, it won't take you too long if you're scouring the internet to find websites devoted to Bible prophecy, to find television programs that try to connect every news headline with some verse in the Bible, trying to to figure out exactly how things are going to work out. There are prophecy uh, conferences held coast to coast. There are entire ministries dedicated to working out details of Bible prophecy. It's very easy to get carried away in all of this. The instructions that the Lord gave to Daniel, I believe, apply to us as well. Yes, inform yourself of what the Bible teaches, but don't try to go beyond it. And certainly don't make the preoccupation of your life and ministry the figuring out of all of these things. Instead, just receive what limited information you have from Scripture and then fulfill the callings He's given you for today. What has God told us to do in the here and now? Well, some of us He has called to be fathers and mothers, some husbands and wives, some children or aunts or uncles. He's called some of us to be employers or employees or grandparents. He's called us to be Christians and churchmen. Those are our jobs today. And let's focus on those jobs. Let's focus on faithfulness in the generation that God has called us to live in and leave the future to God. So this is how we are to live in light of today's passage. We preserve the message with all the mandates that that involves. We fulfill all of our callings in the here and now. And then finally, end of the book, we live in hope. We live in hope. Look at the wonderful words at the end of this book. It says, Go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. These are his final words. Daniel, don't be distraught by all that I've told you. Go your way, do the jobs you have for today, and know this, you will rest. That was a promise that Daniel would die before any of this unfolded. He would die and his soul would go to heaven. The scriptures say that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. The scriptures tell us that to be with the Lord is to enjoy rest. Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord that they may have rest from their labors. Daniel, fear not. Just fulfill your calling now and you are going to rest. But then the second part, and then you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. That's a promise of resurrection and an inheritance in the kingdom of God. He would not miss out on those because he died before they came. Friends, the scriptures teach us that all who die in Christ shall one day be raised. Our souls with God shall be reunited with new glorified bodies. We shall stand on a remade earth and we shall rule and reign with King Jesus. And that reign will extend forever and ever. That is our future. My friend, it doesn't matter whether you are alive when the Lord calls His church home or whether you die, long before that event comes, you will receive your resurrection body and you will witness with your own physical eyes the coronation of King Jesus. And you will receive your allotment in His kingdom. That is your future, so you can live in hope.
My friends, the life of faith can be very difficult, but we have this hope set before us. At the end of our days, we shall rest, and at the end of the days, we shall rise and take our place with our Lord in His kingdom. Friends, let us go forth in this hope today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful book, the book of Daniel. Help us to remember all that we have learned. Help us as we seek to apply these truths to our lives. Lord, help us to be dedicated to the callings that you've given us in this generation. Help us to fulfill the mandates that you've given us here and now, especially the Great Commission mandate. And Lord, help us always to live in hope, no matter what is happening around us, no matter what political intrigues, no matter what wars and rumors of wars we may see. Help us always to live in hope. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.